0: We are picking back up in our series in 1st Samuel, looking at the rise of a king. We see the rise and fall of many leaders in Israel. We're going to read in chapter 3 this morning about Samuel's calling, and it's a rough night for Samuel. It's a confusing night for Samuel. Um, I suspect he did not get much sleep on this night. When I was younger, I used to joke uh, that my spiritual gift was sleeping. Because I could sleep anywhere long and hard without waking up, you know, when you're a young, young teenager, early a young adult, you can sleep for 10, 12 hours at a spit. But um, then at a certain point in early adulthood, I, I actually started to have dreams from the Lord and, and the Lord would speak to me and I thought, well, maybe I actually do have the spiritual gift of sleeping. Um, now, of course, I'm in my late 40s and I have a hard time sleeping and I wake up continually throughout the night and, uh, but sometimes in the middle of the night is the, the, time when the Lord's voice can be the clearest. Anybody identify with that? It was certainly true for Samuel in the middle of the night when for the first time he heard God's voice. Some of my best sermon ideas and ministry initiatives come to me in the middle of the night when I'm lying awake and the house is quiet and, and nothing else is going on and, and maybe your heart is still before the Lord and you're listening. Um, whether you're awake or asleep, you know sometimes the, the distractions, the hustle and bustle of life... Can can crowd out the Lord's voice, can it? And and we want God's voice to be clear. We want our calling from the Lord to be clear. This is First uh, Samuel three. If you want to open up there, page two twenty seven. If you're using one of those blue hardback Bibles, or you can use one of the Scripture journals. Love for you to follow along this morning. We're going to hear this morning of, of Samuel's calling. Now you have to remember the context. Samuel was born through his mother's faith. Through this divine act of God. And Samuel has now been dedicated to the temple. He's being raised in, in a kind of a boarding school scenario where he is now um, being mentored by Eli the priest and, and learning the ways of God. But it is a dark period in Israel's history, the period of the judges. And Eli, even Eli, is, is beginning to slip. He's not keeping things under control. We read about his sons abusing their power. They're stealing meat from the worshipers. They've become sexually immoral with the women at the temple. And We read last week how how God sent a prophet to Eli to give a word of warning, a word of judgment really on Eli and his family line that they would soon come to an end. And so in the midst of that, Samuel is going to hear the voice of God and receive his calling from God. And you and I... Each have a calling from the Lord as well. Young and old, new to the faith, mature in the faith, formal leaders, and, and, and those that are part of the congregation have a calling from God. And in our own way, we are called to, to hear from the Lord, to speak for the Lord, to live out our calling. So you can see in your bulletin this morning, uh, we're going to look at this chapter in three sections. We're going to learn what it means to discern the voice of God, to handle the judgment of God, which is tough and then to proclaim the Word of God. So before I read, I'm going to invite out my friend Greg Chambers to pray for us this morning. Uh, Greg served as an elder here for many, many years, and um, he felt led by the Lord to to go out with his wife to a new local church in York County, and he's serving in in ministry there, carrying the gospel. And I'm just delighted to have my brother back and, and, and thought what a joy to have him pray for our time in the Word.
1: It's a privilege to be back here. It's actually my first time here since this has been built, and what a beautiful home for the kingdom and all you people out there. It's just brings back so many memories, so many beautiful faces, and uh, so let's uh, just—I'm so proud and so honored to be able to open up the service this morning. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this day. I go to your word in Psalm 348 where it says— Taste and see, for the Lord is good. We heard uh, Mike's prayer. We heard Karen's prayer, Father. Keep that fire lit. Father, I ask, what are we tasting and what are we seeing? Let us taste and see less of the world and more of the kingdom. Mm. Further us, Lord, in your word. Deepen us in our faith. Help us to grow in every avenue of life, Lord, because you will complete and fill our appetite. To the point where we will only see you help us to focus as I tend to lose focus throughout the week Lord help us to focus as believers warriors for the kingdom continue to light that fire may it ever grow so bright that everyone knows that there's something different about each one of us we ask that you be with Tim as He conveys the word today, Lord, that we will take it, we will fill our hearts with it, we will walk out of here with it, and let the world see that is, you are the Savior and the light of our life. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.:
0: Amen. Amen.
1: Let's turn now,
0: read along with me the word of God in First Samuel chapter three. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of, the, of God was. And the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of what he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So, we see in the opening verses, it's nighttime, Eli goes to sleep in his own place, Samuel Probably those low on the totem pole found a spot to settle in. And uh, the temple complex uh, would have been an elaborate uh, structure with a tabernacle itself at that point in history. Still just a tent structure, but there would have been other buildings around it. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. The Ark, of course, is the holiest element in all of the temple. It contained the Ten Commandments. The lid was made of solid gold. There were two angel structures uh, uh, on the lid that were intended to guard what was called the mercy seat where the presence of God would dwell and so the author is telling us God is still here in Israel God is dwelling on the ark of the covenant now Eli the priest is getting old we're told that his eyesight is going dim he can't see well anymore we actually read later on that he eventually goes completely blind in contrast to that we're told that the lamp in the temple is still lit this is referring to the the golden lampstand that would have been in the tabernacle it's an oil lamp that would have been burning every night giving literal light to the priests so they could work at nighttime, but also symbolizing the light of God on the nation. And so the point here that the narrator is making, and is using physical descriptions to make the point that the lights are going out for Eli, right? But the light of God is still in the nation. And so while Eli can't see anymore, Samuel is just beginning to see. And so in verse 4, Sam lies down for the night, he hears someone call his name, it's unclear, I, I can't quite discern, is he, is he asleep and hearing like a voice in a dream or is he awake and hearing the Lord's voice, maybe like many of you have experienced, it's sort of that half asleep kind of feeling in the middle of the night where you're sort of not quite asleep and not quite awake. But either way, he hears this voice of the Lord and he's confused. Um, now, in his confusion, like any good apprentice, learning a trade, submitting himself to Eli's uh, leadership at the temple, he thinks, well, it must, it must be Eli calling me. So he cries out, I'm here. He runs in to, to find Eli in his room, and he says, I'm here. You called me. What do you need? And Eli is like, why in the world are you waking me up? I did not call you. Please go back to bed, right? Parents, we don't mind being woken up in the middle of the night if our kids have like a legitimate need or a reason you know, but when they wake you up and it turns out they're just groggy and have a sleep and they don't actually need anything, that's very frustrating. So so Eli's like, just go back to bed, I didn't call you. It happens two more times. Samuel hears a voice, he goes to Eli, Eli sends him back to bed, and in verse 7, the narrator gives us some clarification about why this is happening. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now as we've read, Samuel was born, he was dedicated as a servant of God right? He's growing. He's maturing as a man of God. He's walking with the Lord, but he didn't yet fully know God intimately. He hadn't yet received the call of God. And so while he would be, and he is becoming a prophet who would regularly hear revelation from God and speak for God, all of that is just beginning in this very moment. And so right now, he's still very confused because he didn't yet fully know the Lord. The Word of God had not yet been revealed to him verse 8, we read that while Eli is on his way out, while he can't see anymore, while he's still allowing his sons to wreak havoc in the temple, he does have enough sense eventually to realize, wait a minute, if I'm not calling Samuel, maybe it's somebody else, maybe it's the Lord. So he says, Samuel, go back to bed. If you hear the voice again, say, here, Lord, I'm listening. Speak to me. I'm your servant. So, So Eli is instructing Samuel on how to discern the Lord's voice. Now, now Samuel, like many of us, begins his life with God unfamiliar with the Lord's voice, right? You have to learn the voice of God. You have to learn the leading of the Holy Spirit. Although honestly, for some people, you may feel, well, I remember 5, 10, 20 years ago, whatever it is, I remember when I just put faith in Christ, when I just began my walk with the Lord, that's when it seemed like his voice was the clearest, Right? See, that moment when, when God calls you from death to life, when you wake up, so to speak, spiritually out of death, often that is when God's voice is the loudest. And those that are new to the faith often are, are hungering and growing and attentive to God's voice for a period of time. And for many of us, it's only after we live the Christian life for a number of years and we get busy and we, and, and, and maybe the initial exhilaration of, of having life, of knowing God, begins to wear off and somehow... Sadly, for mature Christians, the voice of God can seem faint. It can seem harder to discern. In fact, sometimes, like, like Samuel in this instance, you, God may be speaking to you, but you may think, well, it's got, it's got to be somebody else, right? It's, it, that's not God's voice. It's just, it, you know, my leader's at church, or it's, it's my spouse, or it's a friend, and, and in fact, it may actually be the Lord. Other times, we may think it's God, and sadly, we, we're confused because it's not God, Right, It may just be another voice. Thank the Lord that while Samuel did not know the voice of God because the Word of God had not yet been revealed to him, thank God that we as believers in Christ, as Christians, the Word of God has been revealed to us in the Scriptures. We, we know the voice of God because we have the voice of God in written revelation to us even now. And I think it is very rare, as Samuel seemed to have experienced, as many, many of the Old Testament prophets did, the audible voice of God. I do think that we can and should discern the voice of God in the day-to-day of our lives and the day-to-day of of walking with Christ, because the Lord does speak to us. Sometimes it's in the night. Sometimes it's in broad daylight. Sometimes He does speak in prophetic dreams. I, I recently, within the last few weeks, I've recently heard about three different people unrelated that had all received the voice of God through what I would call a prophetic dream. The one was, was maybe described, could be described as more of a nightmare. A man from another church had a dream about his wife involved in an adulterous affair. That's a nightmare. Asked his wife about it. In fact, she confessed that she was in the midst of, of adultery. And yet I believe that that was the Lord revealing that to the man because now... By God's grace, they're in counseling, they're seeking to heal, seeking to reconcile what could have become more and more destructive. God in his mercy said, it's time for you to know this, reveal it to the man in a dream. I heard about another woman just this past week, had, a, had an awful, probably also described as a nightmare, an awful dream about her child's safety. One of her young children uh, uh, involved in an extremely dangerous situation, I believe it was two days later that exact scene played out. And I think because the Lord had alerted it to her, she was more attentive, was able to go rescue her child, and very literally saved her child's life. The the third uh, prophetic dream that I recently heard about was on the podcast, the Stepping Stones podcast. If you've been listening along, Brian Krug shared the vision That his sister had, Tina, some of you remember Tina years ago, had terminal cancer and was struggling with faith. But the Lord visited Tina in a a dream, in a vision, and gave Tina a specific specific picture of her sitting on the Lord Jesus' lap. And in that, Tina came to faith, gave her life to the Lord, and was able to end her life in peace because she knew God, because God had shown himself to her. Discerning the voice of the Lord. Now, some of you are like, I'd like to have a prophetic dream like that. Maybe, maybe not some of those ones I described. You know, I, I want to hear the Lord's voice. How do you discern the voice of God? How does the Spirit guide us? I thought back to a two-part blog I had written a couple of years ago, and I asked Laura Dybert if we could uh, update that and republish it this week. So it, you don't necessarily need to, to scribble all this down in your notes. There's a blog that will be posted Monday night, emailed out Tuesday morning, That will give us some guidance on how does the Spirit lead us? How do we as Christians hear the voice of God? First of all, I would say that the the Spirit guides us initially because he calls us into relationship with Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus says he is the good shepherd who calls his sheep by name. We hear the voice of God calling us into faith in Christ. The same voice that he leads us with throughout our lives. Secondly, the Spirit guides and leads us as He purges our sinful desires. Those desires and urges outside of Christ get, get cut out through the work of the Holy Spirit and grow the fruits of the Spirit in us as we read in Galatians chapter 5. We are now called to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. Thirdly, the Spirit guides us by the truth of His written Word. This is our foundation, the, the sure and steady Word of God. Second Timothy 3.15 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God as God's revelation to us. Fourthly, the Spirit often guides us and we can, in fact, hear the leading of God through the process of godly discernment. The the Proverbs talk about this. Romans 12 talks about our minds being renewed. Why? So that we can discern the will of God. Fifthly, The Spirit often guides us by bringing consensus with other believers. I will tell you this, it is much more difficult to hear the voice of God in isolation. We read in Acts chapter 15, the Christians in the early church who couldn't figure out how to proceed with the new Gentile uh, believers, and, and they were struggling, and they got together as a body of believers. They sought the Holy Spirit. They listened. They talked together, and they came to consensus, and the Word of God says that it was good to them and good to the Holy Spirit. They discerned the voice of the Holy Spirit as they talked it out with one another. Sixth, the Spirit guides us by revealing to us the thoughts of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16 talks about how we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit has revealed to us the very thoughts of God, that God speaks to us and can lead us directly in our own hearts. Again, I don't have time to unpack more than that, so follow up this week with the blog if you would. But, but we can and should, as believers, be grounded in the Word, be sensitive to the voice of God, be following the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not having to be confused like Samuel was that night. Wait, is this God? Is this not God? I'm not sure. We can have certainty now. Some of you, as I mentioned earlier, like you, you long for prophetic visions. You long, long for like the signs in the heaven. You know the, those those things that, that are like you know the little the little signs and signals in life, and you want to live by like the latest this, the latest that. But ultimately, the voice of the Lord must be grounded, must begin and end with his full and final revelation. It's interesting that uh, the apostle Peter is is thinking back to a revelation that he had when he was on the mountain. He actually saw Jesus revealed in glory on the mountain. You guys remember that the Mount we call the Mount of Transfiguration. But Peter actually says the word of God is better than that, better than that than that vision. Look at what he says in Second Peter chapter one. The word of God says we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Conform, confirmed pardon me more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Friends, we live in a a dark world. We need to pay attention to this lamp This prophetic word more fully confirmed, the very word of God, the prophecy of Scripture that has been written down and sealed for us. This is our grounding. We're grounded in the word. We're settled in the word. Any other voice or leading of the Holy Spirit is confirmed and affirmed by the word of God. And this is how Jesus himself lived, a man who, who grew, grew up studying the Torah, studying the Scriptures, knowing the Word of God, living by the Word of God in, in, in constant communion and communication with his heavenly Father. He was attentive to the voice of his Father. In fact, Jesus said in John's Gospel, he says, I don't do anything on my own. Whatever I see the Father do, that's what I do, because he knows the, the voice and the, the heart of God. And, and by that same Spirit, we too can pray and live with the same attention and a focus to the Lord, to His heart, to His Word, to His voice, to His leading in our lives. Now, what's interesting about Samuel's first instance of hearing, uh, hearing the voice of God and receiving the Word of God is that it's a really hard word. It's a really heavy word, right? Like, God doesn't start out giving Samuel, like, Go tell everybody that God loves them and, he, and they, they can, you know, they can have peace in their life, right? It, it's a word of judgment. It's Samuel's very first word. Look, look at verse 10. Verse 10, the Lord came again to Samuel. The presence of God stood before him. The the Lord calls out, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel finally responds in the right way. Lord, speak to me. I'm your servant. And the Lord says to Samuel, Listen up. I'm about to do something in Israel that's going to be so amazing that when people hear it, their ears are literally going to tingle. Right? Tingle perhaps out of fear. And he says in verse 12, Sam, I'm about to carry out the judgment on the high priest Eli and his family that I've already prophesied about. Remember, if you were with us in chapter two, a prophet came to Eli and, and told Eli the priest, you are mistreating, you're disrespecting my sacrifices, you're honoring your sons more than you're honoring God, you're making yourself fat off the best part of the sacrifices. And so your family is going to be cut off. And and the prophet tells Eli in chapter 2 that no no one in your family will reach old age. And he says it's a sign that this is true. Your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will both die on the same day. Fast forward to chapter 4. The ark of God is stolen out of the camp of Israel. Hophni and Phinehas die together. Eli falls off of his rocker, literally, and, and he dies as well. And the the Lord says, that prophecy is now going to come true through you, Samuel. And in verse 13, he says, I'm about to fulfill what can only be described as a word of judgment. He says, I'm going to punish Eli and his family. Why? Because they're guilty. They knew it. And they didn't stop. Eli didn't restrain his sons. His sons were blaspheming God. Were dishonoring the Lord. Were abusing their power. Were sexually immoral. Eli tried to warn them, they didn't stop, and then Eli basically just joined in, and he himself got fat off of their abuse of power. And so verse 14, the Lord says, I have sworn that the house of Eli will have to face their sins. They're not going to find atonement through the sacrifices at the altar. Now that's a harsh word, that their sin is so deep that they can't find atonement even through the sacrifices. Now, now God had actually specifically set up sacrifices at the temple specifically for priests because He knew even they weren't perfect. Even they would need intercessors. And God arranged sacrifices just so the priests could atone for their own sins and the sins of their family. But Eli and his sons continually show their disregard for the very sacrificial system that was intended to save them. His sons heard their father's warning and blew it off. Eli then allowed them to continue. Their authority and their abuse continued and in so doing this family rejected the very means of their own forgiveness. They rejected the only God and the only sacrificial system that could show them redemption. And, and this, imagine this, is Samuel's first prophetic word. That, that Eli, who is his mentor, will have to face judgment. Eli Samuel has to wrestle with that, wrestle with this, this word of judgment, wrestle with delivering it to, to the priest at the temple. And, and each of us have to wrestle through, process through, and, and figure out how are we going to handle the judgment of God. The judgment of God is in the Scriptures. And you may say, well, I would just prefer if, if we didn't have to read about God's judgment. Like, wouldn't it be great if God were just a God who didn't judge Wouldn't it be great if God created a world where everybody was free to do whatever they wanted and and God wasn't going to judge anybody? Wouldn't it be wonderful if, like, good didn't have to be rewarded and evil wouldn't have to be punished and people could just act and God just stayed out of it? You know what I think? I think that would be terrible. I would not want to live in a universe like that. I would not want to live in a world where there was not good and evil, where, where evil was not put down. I think that sounds to me like a nightmare, and I would actually go so far as to say that deep down, every man, woman, and child has a desire to live in a world with a good and right, sovereign king and judge who carries out justice. See, people don't have a problem with God judging evil. The only problem people have is that when judgment is carried out against you, or maybe against one of your loved ones, right? But something can't be good and true unless it's good and true just for other people. It's got to be right for you as well. Eli and his family is is walking in a particular type of rebellion, I believe similar to what Jesus described in the New Testament as blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That word blaspheme means to slander, to disrespect, to tear down. And it's this, this, this state that people have in their hardness of heart where in a permanent, ongoing way, people reject the Holy Spirit. They reject the very Spirit of God. They shut themselves off to the only voice that can bring them from life to death. And this ultimately, as we see in the life of Eli, as Jesus taught us, brings the judgment from God. Why? Because you're turning away from mercy. And and we read and we have to process as Christians the judgment of God. We must handle it, first of all, in our own hearts and get right with the Lord about it. And then, at times, we must speak and teach about who God truly is in His holiness and His righteousness and yes, in His judgment because the judgment of God is real. The good and righteous and sovereign King cares about justice in this world. And those in hardness of heart in rebellion against God will one day have to face Him. I can assure you that the judgment of God is real and, and one of the Primary ways, perhaps the greatest way we can know with certainty that the judgment of God is real is because he sent his only son to earth for us to die on a cross. And I can tell you this much, Jesus would have never come. Listen, Jesus would have never come to live on earth in the midst of brokenness. He would have never faced the assaults and the abuse and the rejection and the betrayal and the physical pain and the spiritual agony. He would have never taken on your wrongs and your sins. He would have never hung on the cross and received your punishment if God's judgment were not a real reality. But Jesus did come. And praise God that Jesus came. Praise God that through faith judgment has been mediated. Praise God that for those who hold on to Christ, who have an unwavering hope, we no longer need to fear or stand, stand in, with anxiety or with, or with concern about the judgment of God because those in Christ have been freed from the judgment of God because He has taken our punishment for us. And we now stand before God as those that are free and that are clean for those that hold fast to Christ. And as I read this chapter this week, I thought of a passage we studied last fall when we went through the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 just pulled out a a few segments of this verse. You may want to go back and read the whole chapter this afternoon. We have Hebrews 10 to put on the screen. It says, let us hold fast. Brothers and sisters, hold fast the confession of our hope. Of our hope in Christ without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. Now if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Right? And that, that's what happened with Eli and his sons. There no longer remained a sacrifice for sin. Instead, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. But my righteous ones shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Listen, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Brothers and sisters, let it be a reminder to you this morning to be of one who doesn't shrink back from the Lord, to be one who lives by faith, who lives by faith in Christ, the only Savior that you have, the only hope that you have, the the, the very vessel of mercy for your soul. And if you're here this morning and you're still seeking, still wrestling, still living in a dark world, still wrestling through the guilt of your own sin, through wrestling through the shame of what you've done, wrestling through your own fear of death, know this morning that the call is open to you to run from judgment, to run out of the fury of fire, to not be consumed, but to be wrapped in the loving arms of your Creator and your Heavenly Father. Hold on without wavering to Christ as Savior. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have Bible passages memorized. You don't, have to, you don't have to know the Christian routines and rituals that you may see the people around you doing. You have to hold on to Christ in faith and say, I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. Don't shrink back, but press in. James chapter 2 says that mercy triumphs over judgment, and our God is a God of mercy who, who liberally, generously pours out mercy on his sons and daughters. Come to him this morning and receive of that mercy. Hold on to that mercy. Now back to Samuel. He has received this word, which I know is a hard word. Verse 15 says he laid back down. I know if I were in his shoes, I wouldn't have gotten any sleep. I would have been up the whole rest of the night. He wakes up in the morning, or he gets up in the morning when the light is up. He starts getting the tabernacle ready. Read in verse 15, he's opening up the doors. I don't know about you, but I would have been busying myself, head down, trying to work. Maybe Eli will forget. Maybe Eli will forget, right? And so he gets to work doing his, his duties at the tabernacle. He's understandably, we read, afraid to tell Eli the vision heard from God but Eli in verse 16 makes a beeline for Samuel and says Samuel Samuel my son now at this point I find it a little bit funny right because for for all those times in the middle of the night Samuel thought Eli was calling him and he actually wasn't now now Samuel is actually or now Eli is actually calling Samuel right and Samuel's like please don't call me please don't call me but he calls out and says Samuel Samuel what did the Lord speak to you about? Now, Eli seems like may have some sense that it's bad news, right? Because he says to him, look, may God do to you and more whatever the Lord told you if you don't tell me everything, right? And Eli's like, just rip off the Band-Aid, get it over with, tell me what the Lord revealed to you. I, I kind of have that mentality, like, I hate waiting and not knowing. Like, just give me the news if it's good or bad. I'd just rather know. I'd just rather get it over with. You know, I remember even as a kid, like in school, I would bomb a test and people would say, oh, I hope the teacher waits until, you know, Monday to give us the result. I'm like, no, I don't want to be wondering all weekend. Like, I know I failed it, but just tell me how badly, right? Get it over with. Eli is like, Samuel, tell me what the Lord said. I want to hear it. Shockingly, look at Eli's reply. Well, it says in verse 18, it's the Lord, it's Yahweh. Yahweh. If he's going to bring judgment, let him do whatever he thinks is good to do. Now, you could read that as like a, state, a statement of faith in, in verse 18. Let him do what seems good to I don't think it's a statement of faith on Eli's part. I don't even necessarily think Eli is, is saying that with a sense of bitterness against God. I don't even think he's blaming God for his, his fate. Because honestly, I don't think Eli even has the energy to be bitter or blame God anymore. I read Eli's statement in verse 18 is the pathetic acceptance of a broken man, a broken man who simply knows there's no chance I'm going to turn my life around. There's no chance my sons are going to turn their life around. We're, we're too far gone. And it's a sad reality that Eli at this point in his life doesn't even have the strength or the faith or the hope to try to turn back to God. He just says, well, bring it on. How sad. Samuel steps up in courage, gives this word of prophecy, his first word of prophecy, right? Not, not only a hard word of judgment, but he's got to go to his mentor, to the guy who's training him, to the guy who's taking care of him at the temple. What, what courage. I do think it's a, it's a kindness of God that, that Samuel's first prophetic word was really an affirmation of another, what another prophet had already said. Isn't that kind of neat? Like the very first prophetic word Samuel had to do, his very first duty as a vessel for God was to simply repeat and reiterate what somebody else had already done. So even though it was a hard word, he had that affirmation. And so he goes with courage and he speaks judgment against a ruler that was abusing their power. And again, I couldn't think of how this foreshadows Jesus who would one day stand before the rulers of Israel, stand before those who are abusing their power, who are misrepresenting God, who are twisting and abusing their power before the people, not living out the law of God. And Jesus himself would also stand before the Pharisees and the rulers and the Sadducees and the leaders of Israel in Jerusalem. And he would speak God's words of judgment and call them to repentance. And call them out for their actions. And Samuel, with that same spirit, we read in verse 19, continues to grow in the Lord. He continues to mature. He continues to hear the voice of God. And the Lord is with him. And whatever Samuel prophesied, and we'll read for many more chapters of Samuel's ministry, we read that whatever he, whatever he spoke, it was reliable. Verse 19 says that none of his words fell to the ground. means none of them were empty. They all came to pass. They all did what God intended. And we read this summary statement in, in verse 20. That everyone in Israel knew that God was with Samuel. From as far north as the city of Dan to as far south as the city of Beersheba, everybody knew that Samuel had been confirmed as a faithful prophet. Because the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, it says in verse 21. There's, there had been this period of, a period of silence. The first verse of the chapter opened up with this somber reminder that the, the re- revelation and vision of God was infrequent, but now we have hope that a man of God has come, has been raised up by God, and God will speak through him, and God will reveal himself to Samuel and will call the nation back to himself, this prophet of God proclaiming the Word of God. Now let's be real clear about something and, and, and underline this, as the first point of everything else I'm about to say nobody here has the authority or the infallibility of an old testament prophet okay let's be clear the word of god is our full and final and authoritative and infallible prophetic word but each of us do have a calling from god like samuel did each of us do have a ministry each of us do have a responsibility to speak for god as his ambassadors samuel was called during this period to the nation to the leaders eventually to the first king, Saul, to the second king, David. Who are you called to? Your family members, your children, your siblings, your friends in the workplace, your friends in school, your neighbors, those that the Lord connects you with who opens a heart for. And some of you are like, man, I hear that, but, but I am immediately shirking back in fear. right? I'll serve people all day long, I'll make meals for people all day long, but Lord, don't make me say anything. <laughs> Don't let me speak, right? Or maybe you say, well, I'm happy to share the word of God, to share like the easy parts, the fun parts, the encouraging parts, right? But will you speak the whole counsel of God as we see the scriptures do, as Samuel had to do? He had to bring a hard word, the whole counsel of God. That that was sort of the motto of the seminary where I came from, where I was taught, the whole counsel of God. It comes out of the book of Acts Chapter 20, verse 27, where Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I got a text from from Randy Clifford. He and his wife couldn't be with us. I I think it was last week. And so they were at home listening to the the live stream, and the Spirit of God was moving as the Word of God was was read and unpacked. And he said, tears were flowing. And he reached out to me, and he texted me, and he said, thank God for, for his whole counsel. Thank God for the whole counsel of God. And so we speak and we live in light of who God is in his fullness. And yes, that takes courage. It takes courage to discern the voice of the Lord, to be familiar enough with his word, to be full enough with his Holy Spirit to speak hard truths. I I thought about Matt Von Stein. Matt's somebody that I look up to in this regard. Matt's like the the York Hanover Regional Metro Area Leadership Czar of Young Life, um, something like that. He's got a big title. Matt influences a lot of people, peers, superiors, uh, staff, volunteers, students, college, high school, middle school, wonderful ministry, heart for the Lord, knows the Word of God, speaks the Word of God. But on numerous occasions, Matt and I have sat over the lunch table and he shared with me hard conversations that, he, that he's had to have with people. And I've thought to myself, I don't know if I could have had that conversation. I, I, I probably would have put it off long. He may put it off a little bit, but I would have put it off a lot longer, right? That's somebody who who, who speaks not just the easy truth of of God's Word, but speaks the the full counsel of God and has hard conversations when people need to be corrected, need to be encouraged, need to be exhorted, need to be reminded, need to be held to standards, held to account. Parents, we need to have those conversations with our children. Spouses, some of you need to to speak with with boldness, not in an arrogant, demeaning way, but you need to speak with boldness to your spouse. about what it is that the Lord has put on your heart as we hear the voice of God, as we feast on the Word of God, as we live out the Word of God, as we proclaim the Word of God, as we discern God's voice in our hearts. Because again, Samuel is not the only one who was called to ministry. The very first day you call Jesus Lord. The very first day you begin your life with Him, the very first day that the hope of eternity enters your heart, God says, You are now my son, you are now my daughter, and you are now my servant who's called to go out and to live for me and to represent me, called to ministry, whatever that may be. For some of you, the word this morning, as you as you process through what it means to discern God's voice, to proclaim the word of God, is to say, Well, who is my calling? What is my ministry? Maybe it is a ministry here at Living Hope with our children, with our youth in life groups. Maybe it's a calling in your workplace. Maybe it's a calling in your own home. In Colossians, Paul writes, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord to be faithful. And that begins first and foremost with the Lord's voice in your own heart. As I said, Jesus the Good Shepherd calling you by name, calling you into his flock hearing His voice, soaking up His Word, and being equipped and empowered to go out. Maybe it's just one person this week. Maybe it's a, it's a new ministry you step into with confidence, with boldness, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Himself walking with you. Jesus Himself empowering you. He's not going to call you and ask you to do anything that He Himself has not gone ahead and done before you and that He Himself is not going to walk with you and do with you. Amen. Friends, as the worship team comes, I encourage you to seek the Lord this morning, to settle your hearts before Him, that the Lord might speak to you, that you might be a discerning son or daughter of God. There are so many voices in our world, so many voices that would call for our attention, like Samuel in the middle of the night. Let's not be confused about who is and isn't God. Let's know the voice of God and be faithful to the voice of God. Be attentive to the voice of God. Like a sheep, when the shepherd calls, we go. We are faithful. We proclaim His Word to others in, in all that we do, all that we say, all that we act. I invite you to stand together as we close. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Christ who did come and die on the cross for us, who rose again for us, that we not need to be people living in fear, that we not need to be people overcome and overwhelmed by Your judgment, but people who, who live freely in mercy. Knowing that your love is profound. Knowing that your mercy overcomes judgment through Christ. And we now stand in faith as sons and daughters of God. For those that need to hear that voice of of comfort, that reminder of forgiveness this morning. For those that need to hear that voice that, that you have not forgotten them. Speak clearly, Lord, even as we close and as we sing. Speak clearly reminders of your love, reminders of your grace, but also speak clearly this morning, God, of our calling, of our calling to our children, to our siblings, to our co-workers, to our friends, to our neighbors, calling here at Living Hope Church to be men and women that live and serve one another, men and women that speak truth to one another with boldness. We worship you, our Lord. You're a good God, a righteous judge, a faithful king, a loving Savior. We worship you, Lord.